Welcome to our podcast, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem, Laced with Morality, where all authors and experts are invited to share, learn, and together make this a better world where light pierces through the darkness with the spoken and written word. Well, I'm really excited about our guest today. Um, he's a dear author friend of mine. His name is James Dixon. I have his beautiful book here. It's called A Thousand Little Moments, Gray-Shaped Parenting. A Thousand Little Moments, Gray-Shaped Parenting. And I had the honor of meeting him by working with him on his um, beautiful project. And I'd like to tell you a little bit more about um, James before we go into our interview. But he, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a friend, he's a pastor, he's a former banker, a real estate developer, who did respond to the call of full-time vocational ministry where he planted and pastors a church of broken but beautiful people in Trustville, Alabama at the present time of this recording. He's in the process of moving where he will be um, working with uh, a church in Missouri. Um, tell me the name of that church again. It's, it's a seminary. It's a seminary, yeah, actually. I'm going to serve at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. Okay, Covenant Seminary. Okay. And he has been um, in a winding journey of coming to see what his identity is in Jesus, something we all should be doing, right? And while it's a lesson he's still learning, he's thankful to continue the journey with his wife, Anna. They have three grown children, Pierce, Blair, and Stuart, and he's thrilled to share lessons learned and being learned along this journey of parenting. So welcome, James. I'm so happy that you're hanging out with me talking about your new book. Yeah. Um, it, must be, it must feel, how does it feel? It's a bit surreal. It is. Yeah. It is. And, uh, and it's great to be here with you, Catherine. It's good to be able to spend more time together. We spent time working through this book. So yeah. nice to be back. Talking. You know, it feels a little less stressful, doesn't it? A bit. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. What, so how did you feel when you actually got the book in your hand? Those of you that Joy, relief. Um, excitement uh just it it, it it was a great feeling to be able to finally be in a position to share what i had been processing and praying over for so many years so yeah. mm -hmm. it was a great yeah thing. yeah did you always have a desire to write a book or was it something that you gradually decided you were going to do you know, Catherine, I, I, uh, I will laugh with people early on in my marriage. Uh, I was applying to graduate school to get my MBA, and my wife read through my, um, my essays for admission, and she just shook her head. She wasn't sure that she had made the right decision on this whole marriage. Uh, I've had to grow as a writer, but, um, but I think that was one of the things that the Lord has done in me providing what was needed to uh, go along with this call to vocational ministry. And so um, that's something that, that really he started growing in me in seminary. And, um, and through that process, I, I just began to love the process of thinking through and yeah. writing out my thoughts. And so it, it grew somewhat over time, but probably in more recent years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I want to just share a portion of the opening 
chapter. It's called A Picture is Worth a Thousand Moments. Turn the camera off. Thankful those were the only words I shouted. I wiped a bead of sweat from my forehead and bent over my newborn son, Pierce. While giving him his first bath, I'd lost control. Regret flooded in again. With shaking hands, my wife, Anna, and I tried to console our soapy baby. What's wrong with me, Lord? Why can't I control a newborn and my temper? How could I yell at my mother-in-law like that? Our firstborn, Pierce, was days old. During his short life, I'd encountered several firsts. I'd installed my first car seat, changed my first diaper, burped my first baby, and dressed my first circumcision wound, none of which came naturally. When Anna and I attempted Pierce's first bath, we naively believed it'd be a great idea to record the event. Imagine three adults and an infant crammed in our minuscule bathroom while my mother-in-law operated the camera. We began our work. Pierce hated his bath because we had no idea what we were doing. When our sweet son began screaming at an ear-splitting volume, my anxiety and my anger rose. I experienced emotions I'd never associated with being a new parent. I had a sweet image of what our new family life would be like, complete with smiles and laughter. I would be a calm and comforting presence for my wife and son. I would always be in control of situations. Yet, the moment I demanded my mother-in-law stop recording Pierce's bath, revealed that I would have to reimagine my vision of parenting. Oh my gosh. So I remember I remember when we first started working together and getting that that beginning chapter and I was like I get this because I'm a parent and I remember that baby's first bath and and you remember the complexity of being a new parent like I can't believe they let me go home with this kid like why did they do this? I they think I need vision. <laughs> And and you have this precious baby that you, right, you have all these thoughts if you build up in your head, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be so, there. and we also imagine how much better we're going to, we're going to be than our own parents. And uh, it all comes crashing down when reality takes place and we can't even control our emotions and our soapy kids. And so I just fell in love with this project from the beginning because it was so real. And what I loved is you are a pastor and I've had experience experiences with pastors and not all pastors are that are they're not all that transparent. And so I think this is a refreshing take on parenting coming from a pastor's eyes. Why do you think that's so important? Well, I think parenting can be a lonely endeavor. Uh, yeah. we, we feel like, we're all alone on an island trying to raise this child and we have no idea what we're doing. We want someone to guide us and we don't think there's anyone there who understands. Right. And um, I think it's helpful for people to just be reminded you're not alone. Mm -hmm. and, um, and understanding what parents are going through is a, I think a part of that. Um, and, I'm not presenting anything in this book to say, do it like me. Right. This, one of the things we've talked about is this is not a step-by-step -step, uh, 
manual set of uh, instructions uh, how how to raise a child. And if it were, I wouldn't be the one to write that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I think that's really fundamental to my calling as a as a pastor. It's not uh, it's not be like me. It's to follow Christ with me. And um, I just I, I think that's that's part of what it means to follow Christ. I think it's part of what it means to pastor people. And, um, and it was just the approach that I felt like I needed to take. I wanted to take in writing this book. Yeah. What, to me, one of the most touching things about this book were the letters at the back of the book is, is pretty unique. That was something very different. And, um, you didn't hold back. Like one, one of my favorites was mom and I had an argument and that's really real. You, you, you're tell you're talking to the kids, you're, you're explaining that we don't always disagree and you, and you were showing them that, you know, relationships can be messy, but we always fight for reconciliation. What prompted you to write these letters? Oh, goodness. There's what prompted me to write these letters, and there's what prompted me to write that letter. Um, yeah. I think the letters um, are a way for me to pour into my children uh, with a vision over the long term. I remember when our uh, when when Anna was pregnant with our first son, my uh, parents gave me uh, a journal to write down my thoughts and emotions as we walked through that pregnancy, and and so I did that, and um, and then later was able to give that journal to my son, and then the same with uh, my my other two children on their 18th birthday. And I, I think it was that prompting that they gave me to record those thoughts because the written word is there's a permanence to it and a yeah. way for me to invest in my children's lives. Mm-hmm. So it, it started back then when, uh, when we were pregnant, but, but as the kids have grown, there have been life events that it felt like this is something I don't want to miss. Right. And so we've tried to take opportunities to write to them in a way that we're willing is putting one of those generational deposits mm-hmm. um, into their hearts. And, and I think the written letters allow us to to leave a, a, a more lasting impression. And right. then there's the, um, the particular letter that you just read from and, and I think our children I have this I had this conversation with a, a man in my church. What what is one of the best ways to uh, to ensure that my children are gonna follow Christ? And mm-hmm. well, first of all, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, not us. <laughs> um but I do think there's a difference between those parents who are teaching mm-hmm. and those parents who are modeling. Christ right. Okay. When the kids see it's real, that matters. And my kids need to see that I need Jesus, that 
a wife needs Jesus. And one of the ways that's played out is just in our marriage. And um, I don't want to set up for them some vision of a marriage that never struggles because they're not going to then know what to do when their marriage struggles. So yeah. Yeah. trying to model that Christ dependence for them because it's real. It's yes, real. it's true. And, and what I loved with the letters is you, so you had letters to, to the kids, like, so that was to the, to the, the two sons and the daughter. And then you had letters that were specific to the sons. And then you had a letter that was specific to your daughter. And that made me choke up. It, it gets me even now trying, <clears throat> I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, not choke up when I read it. <clears throat> and it says, dear daughter, you are beautiful. Don't turn away. You are beautiful. You really are beautiful. How does that feel? Notice I didn't ask how it sounded. I want to know how it felt because the reality of beauty and everything it stirs up inside you runs much deeper than the sound of words. It gets to the very core of your being. And that is what I want to talk to you about. When I tell you you are beautiful, I notice a slight turn to the side. You are almost trying to change a subject. Why is that? Is that you don't is it that you don't believe me? Is it that you want to believe me but don't see it yourself? Or maybe somewhere wrapped up in this whole conversation are the confusing notions of beauty you deal with daily. Now I have all daughters and that is something that we deal with all the time. And sometimes when you tell them that they're beautiful, they say you have to say that because you're my parents, but you see this inner beauty in them that no one else does. And you want them to believe it so much before the world taints them with the ideology of what the world believes is beautiful. And I love how you go on to break it down and you have a better definition of beauty. You have beauty as a worthy calling. And I dear, you know, it held me to a different standard it made me think about, hmm, what legacy do I want to leave to my children? It's something that I really need to think about, writing writing these letters to my children, things that will last. You're right. Words words are forever. Look, look at the Bible. I mean, the Bible is the greatest example of what we can have as words lasting forever, words being life-changing, life-affirming. And to me, this spoke so powerfully because I am a girl and I have daughters and hearing that you're beautiful. It, it was something that, that pierced me to the core because it wasn't just about physical beauty. It was about you truly seeing your daughter. And I think that is a lot of what we're missing in our young people nowadays. That's why so many of our girls are lost and struggling because they're not getting that. They're not listening to the right voice, even when they have a mom and dad telling them, you are beautiful, and they're crying out to them. They're listening to the wrong voices. Amen. Well, I, I hope and pray that that message uh, in that particular letter, specifically dealing with beauty and the impact of communicating that beauty to our daughters, I, I hope that resonates and is impactful for parents. And, and it's there for parents to use with their children. But then there's the deeper reason of why I include letters in that book in the first place. And, and it's that they are 
offered as a, a way to encourage parents to continue writing their own letters yeah. and to take up the pen um, right. in the in the fight for their own children's hearts. And so my prayer in including those letters in the appendix is that that would um, that was that that would spur parents on. Yeah, um, it spurred me on. <laughs> it spurred me on. Out. Yeah, and, and hey, guys, listen, people who are listening, um, you know, I think we kind of have, we can kind of plagiarize a little bit. We can kind of use this as a, as a blueprint. Take it and run with it. <laughs> He's giving us permission, y'all. <laughs> oh, we have the blueprint. A chapter I loved in this book was Engage. And it was a principle of being with. Why? Because we are so distracted. We are so doing the opposite. We're so not with. You know, we often, I look around in restaurants. We just took our daughter out to celebrate her birthday. And you look around and people aren't, they're with each other, but they're not with each other. They're on their phones. They're distracted. Tell me why you included this chapter. Well, so... Some of it goes to uh, a little bit of the framework for the book. I, uh, if I could take just a moment. It, it, I think we're all looking for a model family, and um, and I've looked to Scripture to find that model family. But honestly, when you look through the pages of Scripture, <laughs> all you see is uh, a, a bunch of messes. Um, yeah. And so part of the premise behind the book is rather than looking to a specific family, Perhaps the church yeah. should be the model for the family, not the church, maybe as many of us have experienced it, but the church mm-hmm. designed mm-hmm. Uh, as the body of Christ that is um, committed covenantally to one another over the long term and investing sacrificially in the lives of one another. And so mm-hmm. it, it, based on that premise, I then looked at church leadership as a model for parenting and and then I said, okay, what are, what are some of the principles I see in Jesus's leadership in the way that he was discipling the disciples? And what can we learn from, from those principles in yeah. terms of our parenting? So looking mm-hmm. to Jesus, how was he raising up disciples? And, and, and it's beautiful mm-hmm. in Mark chapter 3 when, when Jesus calls the disciples and he says the the, the the first reason he called the disciples was that he might be with them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're catching this vision for the kingdom. They're catching this reality of the gospel by simply being with Jesus. And right. that, I think, has a lot of connotations, but mm-hmm. it's uh, certainly not a classroom monologue lecture. Right. It's yeah. walking the path of life. and. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little bit of the foundation behind the uh, the chapter. But then I have just seen the importance of that really in my own life as uh, as I, I I was the beneficiary of that from, from my mm-hmm. parents and, and have seen the blessing of it in the lives of my own children. That yeah. that that engagement. I, I use the word in, engage um, because be with is not merely to as you say sit at a table but um be staring at my phone or my screen just to put all that down and to engage them in conversation to engage their lives to 
to develop a, a heart of curiosity uh, about yeah. children. And, and um, so I see it in Jesus. I, I've, I've been blessed to enjoy it with my own children, and I see them come alive when, when, yeah. when I desire to be with them. Right. And one thing I love that you said in that chapter is to, um, to never stop being a student of your child's heart. And I thought, yeah, even with adult, because we, I'm at the point in my life at this recording where I have, I have a child, child, and I have adult children, and um, it is true. You're, it, it is important to still continue to study their heart because they grow and they transition. You watch that and you see that, and it's important for you to, to study them and to understand how do we, how do I effectively engage with my child how how do i how am i with them you know that that is that is really good and how to be curious share experience you talk about sharing experiences that matter and you also talk about um talk about things that matter you know how many times do we talk about things that don't matter um and then you talk about oh can you just give us a snippet of your principles of of engagement the, the principles of engagement there at the end of the chapter. Yes. Yeah. So uh, one of them, we talked about that engagement is to be uh, regular. Um, there's, there's a, the, people talk about the, the difference between quality time and quantity time. I, I don't know that it needs to be an either or it ought to be both. Um, yeah. And so, that regular uh, engagement with our kids and, and, and it, it's making our children and making the call to be a parent, a priority in our lives. That, that may mean uh, shockingly that for a, a season we're, we're letting go of some of those, those, those hobbies that have uh, marked our, uh, our, our early twenties when we were living for ourselves. Uh, yeah. No, we, we need to uh, we need to set aside those distractions and, and focus on our children. So it's regular, but it's it's committed. One of the things that we'll talk about later in the book, when when we start getting into the practical application section, um, mm-hmm. I spent time at various seasons with each of my three children, taking them every Friday morning for breakfast, and yeah. and it was a it was a regular committed time. Now that wasn't the only time in the week where right. we were together and I was engaging with them. But that regular committed time seemed to fuel uh, the rest of the spontaneous time. Right. And so I just think that part was, uh, was important. Then, then the, another principle is, uh, is that it should be sacrificial. As I mm-hmm. said, you know, my, my golf game is no longer all that important. <laughs> um, in, uh, in, in this season of life, and yeah. and 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 my kids don't need to think that I am uh, that I'm sorrowful. So yeah. those things that they, they need to know that I joyfully choose them. Right. So, um, yeah. so there's the and then I mentioned structured and unstructured. That gets back to some of those regular breakfasts. There there was a structure to it, yeah. but it was. Um, that fueled the the unstructured time apart from those breakfasts and yeah. just modeling, bringing the children along with the, with you and the things that you do. I, I, I talk about growing up on a farm and how 
uh, my father and uncle grandfathers did that. They brought me along to, to do the work of farming. Well, we're not farmers. We're yeah. pastor, a church planter. Um, but my children have been intimately involved in that. And they right. set up chairs and prepared communion and went mm-hmm. on visitations. And, and I just brought them along. And I think there's a dignity that they felt in that participation um, yeah. and that, that I wanted them with me. And um, they mm-hmm. share the share calling. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Where you do that in an authentic way, you know, where you, you're bringing them along to show them, well, this is how you serve. This is what I do. And here, you know, you're coming along for the ride. Um, it's part of shaping their behavior. Yeah, it is. Their behavior and, as we say in the book, their their loves. Yes. And, but yeah. it's got to be authentic. I, I'm, I'm not. Um, you know, this is not a, a, a doctor making the rounds with a group of medical residents <laughs> taking the time to point out that, no, we're just, we're, we're, we're just enjoying relationship together in the, in the course of right. yeah. what we're doing in life together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also, I, I love your section three, when you talk about living in the house, putting it all together. Um, and how you have this philosophy of intentionality. And um, so I'm going to read this one. It's on page 137. It says, how many times as a young parent have you heard older parents tell you some version of don't blink? They'll be gone before you know it. How many times have you smiled and nodded while rolling your eyes from side to side? Alternatively, how many times have you silently wished it were true? Well, guess what? It is true. As we begin pulling some practical application to this philosophy of parenting we've been building, the main theme we'll keep coming back to is the following. Make wise use of the time. To be wise with time is to be purposeful and deliberate with our time. It is to be intentional. And um, see, what's what's great about this is that you're building off your memories of what, what it was to be a younger parent. But then you're also built, you're also coming from the place where some people are going to, right? And you're, you're coming from the place of being a parent of adult children and saying, it really does go fast. (laughs) It's true. It goes really fast. Be intentional. Do you have anything to say um, to, to just add to that? Well, I think that intentionality looks different at different stages of the of the child's life. It, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, with a young toddler, intentionality is just getting down on the floor and playing with them. Yeah. Uh, and being on an eye level with them. And that communicates much. So intentionality is going to grow. Over time, it's... Uh, it's it's sitting down with them uh, in the midst of their uh, their brokenness over any number mm-hmm. of um, relational issues, mm-hmm. uh, the dealing with their dreams about mm-hmm. uh, the future and about the present, and sometimes those dreams are are thriving, and sometimes they're not, and, yeah. and being intentional to pursue their heart in all of that and to ask them 
Yeah. How's your heart in right. this particular situation? Mm-hmm. It it changes over time, but it's all being on eye level or being in, on a heart level with your children. And you know, the goal in our parenting, uh, well, the goal, and we and I deal with this early mm-hmm. on is um, is to shape their hearts for Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a relational goal. Uh, yeah. I, I want to be friends with my children. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, there's an appropriateness to that, but as my children are, uh, are transitioning into adulthood, um, uh, our relationship is, uh, is, is changing more to that of mm-hmm. friendship. When my oldest yeah. son left, uh, the house, I, I said, you know, son, I'm always here for you and always mm-hmm. here for guidance and counsel and wisdom. But we're entering into a time where you need to ask that for me, not me initiating it for you. I, I want to mm-hmm. be here for you, but you also have some some rope to, to play with. Yeah. That began to transition that relationship to a friendship. But <clears throat> the intentionality in every step of the way has hopefully pointing them to Jesus, but has hopefully also nurtured our relationship so that mm-hmm. as we have blinked, as they have grown, mm-hmm. uh, we yeah. can continue together. So what would you say to that parent who did mess up? Mm. You know, who, what would you say to that parent who feels like I really was an absentee parent? My kids are now grown. Do I have another, do I have a shot? Do you th- do you feel like there's something in this book for them? Oh yes, yes, yeah. and I and, and we're trying to speak to that that it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there are parents out there who feel like they missed their chance. Yeah, and so they just continue in this uh, resignation of this is just going to be the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But I think the principles we're talking about about being a student of your child's heart, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's timeless, regardless right. of how old our children are. That principle of, of modeling Christ's dependence through being the lead repenter in your home. Yes. A parent, I, I, in my church, I talk to parents, and we talk about um, modeling uh, what it means to be a Christ follower. Oftentimes we hear that and we think, okay, that means that I need to uh, I need to do all of the service projects. I need to do all the <laughs> things. I need I, you gotta check all the boxes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yes, if we're truly following Christ, we've got to be growing in Christ. But ultimately, it means modeling heart of repentance. Right. There are parents who have missed it mm-hmm. with their children. But we worship a God of grace. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a call, I think, to repent before the Lord and to repent before our children. Mm-hmm. That authentic repentance is uh, is a powerful reconnector. It does. It's not a magic pill. Yeah, erase the struggles, mm-hmm. but it's the start of renewal. And so, right. I think for those parents that have missed it, mm-hmm. it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a call to be patient with the children's heart. Mm-hmm. To not just expect we can wash over whatever that past was in an instant. Um, But 
repentance, pursuit, curiosity about their heart. Mm-hmm. That happens at, at any point in, in our children's mm-hmm. lives. And so, yeah. 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 That's so good. Yeah. Because, because that's some of the, those are real conversations that, that need to be had. Some people, they genuinely, whether it was their fault or not, by whatever circumstances it happened, you know, they, they missed that opportunity. And so sometimes people wonder, is it too late for me? And so it's, that's very optimistic to know there's still hope and there's something in this, in this book for them. And I think what an adult child who has had a fractured relationship with their parents, what, what they want most of all mm-hmm. is, uh, is honesty, vulnerability, uh, from their parent. And I think most mm-hmm. adult children are, uh, are anxious to forgive if a parent mm-hmm. is oh, willing so to seek it. Yeah. To, yeah. When they see that parent being humble and transparent. Yeah. That's good. That's so good. And and you're coming not just from the aspect of being a father, but you're also coming from the aspect of also being someone who's been in the pulpit. You've seen a lot. You've pastored. You've, you've dealt with a lot of families, a lot of problems. I can imagine. Yes. And yes. so that's a great. It's a place of wisdom and knowledge. And so yeah, that's that's really good advice. I love it. Wow. Well, just now on the on the flip side, on the authorship side, I know this this is a question that comes up often. How about how long did it take you to write this book? Oh, way too long. <laughs> <laughs> way too long. Oh, boy. That's that's, that's on me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I probably spent the better part of six years, but not consistent in that. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I take Fridays off, and, I, and so I tried to um, spend some time on Fridays writing. So I, I don't know mm-hmm. if that it means I was taking that time off, mm-hmm. but, um, but a lot of life happened in those six years and I would go for extended periods of time without writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would, yeah, mm-hmm. I, that, that, that's a me issue, um, <laughs> of, uh, of, of focus and commitment. But in those times when I was able to dedicate my my focus and my heart to it. They, they, they were so, it was that time was such uh, a, a life giving season. I, I, um, I have a attention span that can really do deep work for maybe three hours. <laughs> and so, uh, I would try and carve out time to get those, those three hour chunks of writing and, uh, was not consistent enough with it but um yeah we spread it out over a while Mm -hmm. there was a blessing in that though because you know my uh my research was uh, a a factor of studying the word my pastoral ministry and my parenting failures Mm. and six years gives you a lot of time for all of that (laughs) yeah and and just to be clear people um it did not take james and i six years to get his book together when we met it was a way faster path because he was a he was a dream client. He was so good. He worked. He, he was a tough, tough worker. So I, I was actually getting ready to start a doctoral program, and so I was motivated to finish this before starting that doctoral program. Sometimes, sometimes we need deadlines. 
Yes, we need deadlines. I was, you know, I was going to put that out there, but um, yeah, I was like, well, he's an overachiever. He's writing a book. He's in the doctoral program. It's pretty crazy. Uh, but you put that on hold now. Is that still uh, on no, hold? I have not. We'll continue that in Monday. You'll continue. Okay. Okay. So that that's still in the um. Okay, that's still in the works. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Okay. This is great. Well. Also, I want to tell our listeners that there's a great resource if you hop on, um, and he's going to talk to us about that because we're wrapping up. If you get on his website, you will get a wonderful free resource. It is a workbook, and it's a great companion to his book, Um, A Thousand Little Moments, Gray-Shaped Parenting. You do not want to miss this opportunity. So... um, James, I cannot believe we're at the end of our time. This has been so much fun, old friend. I mean, not old in terms of you're old. I'm talking. I'm talking in terms. Of- <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us how can listeners stay in touch with you? Sure. So you you referenced my website. It's www.jamesdixon.org. Dixon is D-I-C-K-S-O-N. Mm-hmm. On that website, there are um, there, there are several um, tools for you there. There's a there's a blog uh, where that I'm uh, I'm writing on um, and I'm trying to parse those out. Um, there's also a, a link to the workbook that is uh, it's a it's a 12 uh, week or 12 chapter workbook where you can uh, do this work through this book in community mm-hmm. or, or small groups or Sunday school classes. And you can download that for free from the, from the website. There's a, there's a link to that. And there's also a button to uh, direct you to locations where you can purchase, uh, purchase the book online. And mm-hmm. there is a contact page there where you can reach out to me and I'd love to, I'd love to, be in contact. Yeah, that would be great. Well, James, it's been a pleasure. I have really enjoyed my time. Um, I'm looking forward to see, you know, who knows? You might just, you might think of something else to write next. We never know. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Lord knows. (laughs) The Lord knows. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We learned so much from my author friend, James Dixon. And listeners, let's not forget to use our words to pierce through the darkness with the spoken and written word.